I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 87. Well, not only is this my favorite time of the year because of all the holidays, in, what, a week-ish mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. this episode gets released, Donna and I are going to be in Atlanta. Woot, 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 woot. So if you're in Atlanta and you want to come hang out, hit us up. We're going to do, I don't know. Some sort of, like, something. <laughs> we're so well-planned. Wow. I mean, we're going to, like, be somewhere. <laughs> we're going to be somebody. You got to wake up and pay attention. Yes. What movie? Sister Act 2. Okay. I also, just couldn't remember the words. <laughs> <laughs> also, we promised Kimberly Kelly, who uh-huh. lives in Atlanta, that we met last time we were there, which was last November. Uh-huh. Apparently, Atlanta is a November trip. Yes, it is. But it is amazing to see different colored trees and stuff. Oh, my God. It was so beautiful last time. And cold, which is like, oh, it's cold here right now, too, though. Look, I'm built for cold weather, but I don't like it. Anyway, but I promised her that Drunk Donna and Drunk Carrie will come out. She promised Drunk Carrie without consulting Sober Carrie. Well, if Drunk Donna comes out, Drunk Carrie's got to come out or we're going to get in a fight. We don't. Drunk one and Sober B don't get what? along. <laughs> That's Are the you point. Drunk? No, that's how bad it is. Oh. One and B. One and done. That's how Donna gets drunk. One and done. I'm about, yeah. So there might be a Facebook Live happening. Who knows? Oh, God. Whatever I can talk Carrie into doing. Well, last time we did one, you were like, we should do a live. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of us needs to be sober at all, all times, a.k.a. me, to control Miss Impulsive over there. No. So, if y'all want to know all about Carrie's life, <laughs> y'all just tune in at some live because if Donna is drunk, it all comes off. I mean, oh, <laughs> that's a Freudian swim if I've ever heard one. I've been out. <laughs> but you said off. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong. <laughs> On either account. No. She tells all my shit, y'all. It's good shit, though. Is it? Yes. <laughs> well,. Some other good shit. Patreoners? Yep, but they're not shit. But, like, they're the shit. Yeah. Michael A. from California. And Sally M. from Sheffield, England. Ooh, across the pond, eh? You know, it's my favorite. She's not picking favorites, but if she has to, it's across the pond. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I was meant to be British. I'm not, because they use too big of words. Look. So smart. Look. uh Uh-uh. I'm like... It was blue, and they're like... It was cyan, or what is it? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm, but I was thinking of a different one. Some crayon color that I never knew how to fucking pronounce. Dark blue. <laughs> <laughs> the shade over here, y'all. The shade. <laughs> they even know how to spell chartreuse. Now that's a fucking shade at me. <laughs> Did we leave that in the episode? No, it's only in bloopers. Which Michael gets... And so does Sally. So they'll be in on that joke. Are you? If you want to be, go on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Bam. Dropping some knowledge. You know how we've talked about we do extra slices from stuff from the episodes that may be too long because, you know, we go on, we beat a dead horse. Is that a terrible thing to say? It's a terrible thing to do. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> but, you know, we we will run something into the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, this past week, y'all heard a little bit of our clothesline debate, but there was a whole extra slice about it. <laughs> it was like eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the jury's still out. It's a hung jury. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a good one. <laughs> was a Donna one. <laughs> All right. So for my story this week, we're going to keep it kind of local-ish. We're going to go just mm, two hours down the street. All right. That could be anywhere. Because we live in the hub city. Yes. And it's literally two hours to all major places around here. Hence the hub. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go to New Orleans. Ooh. You know, it's one of my favorite. What was that sound I, I just don't, made? Maybe you, I don't. It was like, eh, ooga, but not. But it was like a little, it was like that, 
meets a police car. <laughs> woo, woo. You badge bunny. Look, you're not wrong. But interestingly. Look, you flash me the badge. I'll flash you my goods. Or maybe your goods because yours is bigger than mine. You're flashing mine? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, um, again, I share all your shit. Well, we are in New Orleans, so I don't know that that would get you anything. True. But before I interrupted you with the badge. The flashing? Uh-huh. I was going to tell you that, interestingly, this story involves police officers. Ooh. Ooh. I know. I know. You like how that just segue mm. worked, but it wasn't even intentional. Mm-hmm. We're getting really good at this podcasting thing. No, mm. we're not. We're not. Mm. Jury's still out. Jury is definitely still out. All right, so for this story, of course, you know, Wikipedia and Murderpedia are my places. But there was also a show on Investigation Discovery. It was called I'd Kill for You. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. And season three, episode seven, is where I got a good bit of information, too. But I found it interesting, though, like, I felt like the show painted people in a little bit better light mm. than, like, all the other things did. It was like, at the end of the show, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, there's also all this information. You know, where it was just kind of like, yeah, you kind of skimmed over that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, we're going to New Orleans, like I said, circa early 90s, you know, 93, 95-ish. Oh, best time ever. At the time in New Orleans, neighborhoods were starting to change. There was more violence. The New Orleans Police Department, NOPD, was wrought with corruption. It was a time in which there were... Not just a few bad apples. There were a lot of bad apples, which, of course, tainted the whole department. But what was happening was the police department was extremely shorthanded, Mm. which leads to overworked officers who probably aren't making the best decisions because they're tired. They're, again, overworked, underpaid. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff was talking about how poorly the police officers at the time were paid. and. I mean, no police officer makes what they're they're worth even right. now, but especially at the time in the NOPD, you know, some police officers were having trouble making ends meet. Wow. I know. The people who serve and protect us, just like teachers and mm-hmm. any first responder, any people who keep us safe, keep us alive, and educate us should be the highest paid people. Yes, definitely. Stepping off my soapbox. Okay. Also... All I can think about, and I just have to say it because I'll keep thinking about it the whole time that you're talking, NOPD, instead of like how they spelled punked, it'd be noped. Like how N-O-P apostrophe D. Mm -hmm. And like in my head, it's like noped. (laughs) I noped out of there. (laughs) Sorry. Had to say it. Okay. Glad you got that off your chest. (laughs) Some of the things that the... Bad apples, the officers that were corrupt, some of the things that they were doing is they would stop or like pull over, like as if they were going to arrest drug, like known drug dealers, Mm -hmm. steal their drugs from them, Mm. like quote, confiscate them or like pat them down and then stick them in their pocket and then turn around and resell it. And it's like as terrible as that is. And To not be able to trust the people that you've entrusted to protect you, Mm -hmm. as terrible as that is, it's the overworked, underpaid culture breeds that. Yeah. Because when you put someone's back against the wall, they're going to do what they have to do to take care of their family. Yeah. Now, is it wrong? Fuck yeah. Definitely. Abso-fucking-lutely. It's wrong. Well, early 1993... There was a group that had just graduated from the police academy, was starting on their beats, and two of the police officers that were starting together were Ronnie Williams and Antoinette Frank. Ronnie was a New Orleans native. He had grown up in the east side of New Orleans with, you know, kind of had an idyllic childhood. The neighborhood had started getting pretty freaking rough as he was growing up, so he was kind of the protector of his little brother. Mm-hmm. And right before he went to the police academy, married his high school sweetheart. Oh, yeah. They had a little boy together. Living the dream. Exactly. Well, Antoinette Frank, she grew up in Opelousas, which is not far, you know, maybe two, what, two hours west of New Orleans. She came from a rougher childhood. Her parents didn't get along. 
Her brother had a lot of run-ins with the law, which created more conflict with her parents. Mm. It's said that her dad was a Vietnam veteran and had a lot of emotional trauma that led him to self-medicate with alcohol. Later, Antoinette Frank said that her father abused her physically, mentally, and even sexually when she was a child. As a way to kind of regain... Like, the authority and the power in her own life, she wanted to become a police officer. So, she applied to NOPD. Like I said, this was early, you know, 1993-ish when she was actually hired. And so, although New Orleans is actually a majority black city, Antoinette being not only a female, but a black female, it just was not very common on the police force. And so, she just had extra challenges. Well, when she applied, there were quite a few red flags, though, as part of the hiring process. They found out that she had lied on a few sections of the application, and she had actually failed some of the standard psychiatric evaluations. Oh. Yeah. One thing I saw said she failed two. Another thing said that three different psychiatrists were like, nope, don't hire her, and said, like, that her file actually was said, basically, do not hire. Oh, my gosh. And they were just like, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Mm-hmm. Approved. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Like, in the 14 characteristics relevant to the job of a police officer, it said that she scored unacceptable or below average. Wow. Uh-huh. But one thing said... Like I was saying that three different psychiatric evaluators said that she was not fit. But then apparently there was just this one psychiatrist that was like, nah, she good. And so they were like, like you said, okay, well, we we got to get boots on the ground. So here we are. She'd gotten turned away from the police department a couple of times. And right before they actually hired her, she was super depressed and she wrote a a suicide note to her father, like address it to him, and then basically was missing for like one day. Her father did file a police, uh, like a missing persons report with the police department, but the very next day she just came back. So I didn't really find anything of what happened in that time. I don't know. Yeah. But it was just three weeks after that that she was hired by NOPD. Mm-hmm. Despite all the things that led up to her being hired, she graduated top of her class from the academy. So she starts working with Ronnie. You know, they they weren't like partners. They each had their own car. I mean, they didn't have enough police officers to be having partners like that. They were assigned to the 7th Ward. That was actually where Ronnie had grown up in the east side of New Orleans. And, he, you know, he was at home. He, you know, again, it, the neighborhood was very different from when he was growing up there. It had... A lot of drug activity, gang activity, so forth and so on. But he was a good police officer. He was really good at talking to people, de-escalating situations. And Antoinette Frank was basically the polar opposite. She was not good at de-escalating situations and was quite shy when it came to interacting like with suspects and stuff to try to like figure out, you know, Yeah. What's happening, who, what, when, where, why. Everything I, like, read or watched made it sound like, and and some even basically said this, was that it was almost as if she didn't really understand what being a police officer meant. She wanted the perks that Mm. came along with being a police officer. She wanted the the power. She wanted the authority. She wanted to... The respect. Yes, that she's never gotten in her whole life. She's never had control of her life. And... This was giving her some control. She was able to move out of her parents' house, you know, move to New Orleans. Because back then, and and one thing I read up until 2014 even, part of the problem with getting law enforcement too was that to be on NOPD, you had to live in New Orleans. Mm. So it's like you don't pay them enough and then you want them to live in the city, you know. Right. So again, it was just kind of like when she actually had to do the work, she couldn't. It's almost like this is what I kind of like picture. She was really good at the academy because she's smart. Mm-hmm. You know, she can tell you the right answers. She just can't execute it. Yeah. 
she didn't get along with the officers in her platoon, I think is what it's called. They didn't really like her because they didn't trust her. Yeah. And, you know, part of the brotherhood of police is that you have to be able to trust who you're with. Yeah. And they said that she was often, like, irrational in some of her things, which part of me as, like, the female in me is, like, was she irrational because she was a female? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, like, no, she really was. Mm. She had graduated from the academy in February of 93. As early as August of 93 – there was even talk about sending her back to the academy for more training. Damn. Because she, yeah, she's just that bad of a police officer. Wow. This was a quote from the show that I watched, I'd Kill For You. And it's probably not even something that was like actually said in real life. But I really like the quote. So I'm telling you. Ronnie told Antoinette, he was like, this is a bad area to be a bad cop. Mm. And it's so true. Like, yeah. we're, like their beat was very dangerous. And so she needed to get her shit together so that the other officers were safe. Yeah. And herself. Well, in November of 1994, Antoinette Frank responds to a 911 call where a known drug dealer had been shot multiple times. He was taken to the hospital, and part of her job was to, you know, kind of interview him, debrief, see what was going on, see if he could identify anybody, yada, yada, yada. Well, his name was Rogers Lacaze, which this is so stupid, but his name is Rogers, mm-hmm. plural, like first name. And her last name is Frank. And I want to be like, Frank's, Roger yeah. and Frank's, you know, like yeah. it just, it's it different. Mm-hmm. After she took Roger's statement at the hospital, she kind of like, I don't even really know how it began, but they started hanging out. She wanted to take him under her wing because he's like this bad boy, this, you know, he's a, a drug dealer, yada, yada, yada. She's a police officer. And so she wanted to, you know, again, take him under her wing and help him out. While all this was happening, Ronnie, the other police officer, was doing what most police officers do. And he was working extra, like, security details yeah, to make more money because... He could go, like, sit at a restaurant with his uniform, gun, all of that, and get paid, you know, while he was off the clock. And having an armed, you know, police officer, like, clearly in uniform, sitting there, you know. Yeah. Whatever. So, he worked an extra security detail at this Vietnamese restaurant named Kim On. And that was... Oh, Kim On now. (laughs) Okay. And that was in New Orleans East, which was where, you know, where Ronnie was from, mm-hmm. that had kind of turned rough, blah, blah, blah. Remember that I said that Ronnie had married his high school sweetheart and they had a son? Yeah. Well, now his wife is pregnant. Ooh, okay. So, another mouth to feed, more clothes, more all the things. We all know how expensive kids are. So, he's working all these extra shifts so he can make as much money as possible. Yeah. Ronnie gets very close with the family that owns the Kim on restaurant. It's an older couple, but their four grown kids run it. Their daughter Chow basically ran everything. And that's who Ronnie worked with the most. Well, Ronnie's getting prepared for the baby to come. So he tells Chow, like, you know, look, I'm going to have to take some time off when the baby gets here, but I don't want to leave y'all stranded for somebody. So he talked to his coworker, Antoinette Frank, to be like, hey, you know, I know you're kind of strapped for cash, too. Just yeah. moved to the city, blah, blah, blah. And, like, her dad had moved in with her because he mm-hmm. was on disability and stuff. And so, you know, she was taking care of her dad, and blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. And so he's like, I know you need some extra cash. Do you want to help me here? Yeah, do him a solid. Right. Yeah. She's going to cover the shifts that he's missing, but she also gets money. Yeah. All the things. So Antoinette starts working there, you know, some, too. The, the family is amazing, and they, they treat both Ronnie and Antoinette like family, feed them, you know, all the things. When Antoinette starts working there, Chow comes up to Ronnie and is like, Ronnie, do you train new police officers too? And he's like, you know, what the, what you talking about, you know? And she said that Antoinette has her nephew, like, riding along with her, and she's teaching him, like, all about being a police officer. He's like, um, 
no, do you know his name? And she's like, no. Well. It's Rogers. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. This 19-year-old kid. And, you know, she's not that much older than him. Because you only had to be 21 to be in the academy, you know, to go to the academy. And mm. she'd only been a police officer for like a year. So she's really, I mean, at most, she's 22. Yeah. You know, so it's not like she's like 70. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, who are we to judge? Right. But, but, you know, she's supposedly, like, taking him under her wing to educate him and help him. And, you know, he's going back to get his GED because he had dropped out of school. And it's said that they started a sexual relationship. Mm. You know, it was almost like Rogers now had a cop in his back pocket. Yeah. Could do his bidding for him, all all that kind of stuff. Antoinette would even, like, respond to calls with Rogers in the car and would be like, oh, this is my trainee or, oh, this is my nephew. Like, she always kind of changed who he was. But it later came out that in February of 95, two guys, John Stevens and Anthony Wallace, they were at a party and they had a bit of a confrontation with Rogers. It was it and it was just like like a, like a an argument. It wasn't even like a fist fight. So those two guys leave the party. They get just a couple of blocks down the road, and they see blue lights. And so they get pulled over. They pull over, and they see the police officer getting out of the car, and it's Antoinette Frank. She tells both of them to get in the squad car, and when they do, they see that Rogers is there. Wow. And that he has a gun. What? Yep. So Anthony Wallace starts fighting Rogers because he's got the gun and he's trying to, you know, save him. So then the other guy, John Stevens and Antoinette, like get in the fight with them. Around this time, a good Samaritan just walking by helps like break it up. And they were going like, you know, to get Rogers off too and all that. And she was like, no, he's a, he's one of the good guys. Like saying that, you know, talking about Rogers. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, it's like that one saying it was Anthony Wallace. That was the one being the problem. And so he was restrained like until backup got to the scene. He listened to this. He was arrested and charged with attempted murder and armed robbery. Wait, what? Yep. What? Uh Uh-huh. Of what? Antoinette, I guess. I don't know. But nothing ever came of it. All the, like, charges and stuff were dropped because... It was bogus. Yeah. And then, like, the police never even questioned the guy that came up to help her. Because, you know, it says that he's a civil sheriff. So I don't really know what that means. I don't know the guy that like came up to help, like the Good Samaritan guy. So like he came up because he sees this police officer clearly like thought maybe she had stopped a traffic stop Mm -hmm. and was in some sort of scuffle with three men. Yeah. And so this person stopped to help, you know, and is the one that actually restrained him until like backup. But it's like, what? you don't you don't even. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't even question him about anything. So it's almost like. Just with all the corruption and shadiness and just, again, overworked, underpaid. Nobody had time. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was, this was, people were fucking dying. You know what I mean? It was, well, still is dangerous in New Orleans, but especially, there. you know, there was a time when it was, and this was it, it was really fucking dangerous. Yeah. There had begun to become a little bit of tension between Ronnie and Antoinette because Ronnie was the OG. Yeah. And so he got hours because, again, he's helping you out. Yeah, you're helping him out because you're going to cover for him when the baby comes. But. Yeah. But again, he's the OG. So he he will. You know what I mean? Yes. He will always get the hours first. Seniority. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. On March 4th, 1995, Ronnie is working his regular shift at the restaurant. All four of the. Restaurant owners, the kids, their last name is Vu. So all four of the Vu kids are at the restaurant, too. And Antoinette stops by because, like I said, the Vu's treated them like family. There were perks for working there. You know, you could stop by, get a free meal. You could stop by, get a drink, whatever. That's the kind of friends I need. Mm -hmm. So she stops by and she's like, you know, 
Rogers and I are about to go see like the a midnight showing of the movie, blah, 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 gets her something to drink and then leaves. Well, Antoinette ends up coming back a little bit later because she's like, hey, you know, we missed the movie. We're going to come by because, you know, we're hungry. We're going to come by and eat something. At midnight. Mm-hmm. And and this restaurant did stay open very late. So okay. they were still there. But like everything had been cleaned up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was like it was late. It was it was it was closing time. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, Chow is very giving and, you know, it's like, OK, yeah, y'all come on by. Come eat. I'll you know, we'll stay open for you. Well, they get there and Ronnie is like, Antoinette, fuck. Like these people have been working all day. They're ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. You're fucking taking advantage of them. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Well, eventually Antoinette and Rogers leave. And it's about an hour later. Chow's paying Ronnie so that he can leave. When she sees Antoinette walking back up to the restaurant. Okay. Well, the time before when Antoinette was leaving... Chow had noticed, like, when she let her out the door, that the front door key was missing, but didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. Again, until the third time she saw Antoinette coming up. And Antoinette had taken the front door key. Wow. When Chow saw her coming in, she knew something was wrong. When she comes in the door, she, like, rushes past Ronnie, and she pushes Chow and her brother, Quok back into, like, the kitchen of the restaurant. And Chow is trying to hide the money because she's, like, she knows Mm. that Antoinette's there for the money. So while Chow's trying to hide the money, she grabs Quok. They run to hide in the freezer. But here's the problem. Their sister, their other sister and brother were still out there. Oh, fuck. Yeah. They couldn't find them to tell them, like, hey, come hide in the fucking freezer with us. Yeah. Well... Rogers is with Antoinette again, and he comes in, and he shoots Ronnie in the back of the neck, immediately severing his spinal cord and paralyzing him. Fuck. So Ronnie falls to the ground, because he's paralyzed, and he shoots him again in the head and in the middle of his back. What the fuck? Yeah, while he's fucking laying on the floor. Well, Antoinette finds the missing two siblings, Ha and Kwong. At this point, Antoinette is looking everywhere that she knows where the money is usually. Okay. Because here's the thing, too. It's 95. So this was a basically a cash business. Yeah. I mean, people didn't just swipe the card, you know? So she's looking in all the places where she knows that they usually have the money. She can't find any because... Chow had taken it to hide it when she saw her come in because she knew something was up. Yeah, yeah. So Antoinette finds Ha and Kwong and is like, where the fuck is the money? And they're like, I don't know. We don't deal with the money. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know where it is. Yeah. So Antoinette shoots Ha three times as she was kneeling, pleading for her life. Fuck her. Ha was 21 years old. No. Kwong was shot six times and pistol whipped. What the hell? He was 17. No, a little baby. Mm -hmm. So Antoinette and Rogers flee the scene. Like he still had homework. Mm -hmm. I know. I think it had been about like 20 minutes after it happened. Kwok comes out of the, the freezer and He's like, okay, I I think the coast is clear. I think they're gone. I don't know. Yeah. But he runs and he calls 911. In the meantime, Antoinette goes and drops Rogers off at this apartment complex. And then Antoinette hears the 911 call on her police radio saying, Officer Down at the Kim On mm. restaurant. So she heads there. Oh, my God. Trying to beat them because she knows that Chow and Kwok are still alive. Yeah. So she's trying to cut them off at the pass to get, you know, get Mm -hmm. there first. So she gets there, parks in the back, goes through the back door. And when she gets in, Chow sees her and fucking runs. 
And so Chow's hauling ass out the front door. And right about that time, the 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 real good guys, the good. police officers, get there. Yeah. So as soon as Antoinette sees these other police officers, she's like, you know, I'm a cop, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, thank God. Like, there's there was a police officer oh, here. My gosh. Like, we, you know, we have a police officer that's like a fucking witness to this, no. you know? Yes. Well, Chow is so upset, she can only get words out in Vietnamese. Oh, my God. Bless it. And, of course, Antoinette is playing it so cool, being like, yeah, you know, heard it on the police scanner, yada, 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 came by. And, finally, Chow, like, musters up enough of, I don't even know what, to say, no, you know what happened here. So, the police are like, skirt the fuck she just said right you knew what so the police question antoinette and chow like at different tables at the restaurant you know like see what was going on and they finally got some of the story and immediately arrested antoinette and charged her with three counts of first degree murder and then later that night they found roger lacaz and they arrested him as well antoinette actually confessed in Antoinette Frank's trial, the jury only deliberated for 22 minutes mm. and found her, of course, guilty on all counts. Good. And then the next day, during the sentencing phase of the trial, they only needed 45 minutes to recommend the death penalty. Wow. And I think she is, well, one article said she was the only one, but another more up-to-date article said she's one of two women on death row in Louisiana and Angola prison. Mm-mm. How do they separate them? I don't know. Another thing says that she's at Louisiana Correction Institute for Women. So I don't know. Especially with her being a cop, too. You know, like, sometimes they put them in. I don't think that they're doing that shit for her. She is a, she is a cop killer. Yeah. She was the first New Orleans police officer to ever have been charged with killing a fellow officer. Wow. So she, they don't give a sh- yeah. fucking fuckity fuck about what happens to her in prison. Yeah. There's been a, a bunch of stuff about, like, her conviction and Rogers, Lacaz, his conviction. Whatever, they're both in jail. It don't fucking matter. The Vu family did keep the restaurant open until 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm. And it destroyed the restaurant. And after the storm, you know how after, like, a hurricane and stuff, there's always a lot of looters that steal mm-hmm. stuff? Looters stole the jewelry that Ha and Kwong were wearing when they were killed. Now that's just fucking cold. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yep. They did reopen the restaurant in another location. But two more things. When Officer Ronnie Williams was killed, mm-hmm. his new baby son was like six days old. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, one more thing. Do you remember how I said that Antoinette's dad lived with her? Mm-hmm. Well, about a month after her death sentence, a dog found a human skull under her house with a bullet in its head. And basically, nobody ever even, like, has lo- has looked into it. But it's, like, understood that mm-hmm. that's her dad. That wow. she killed him. Killed him and buried him under the house. Wow. But again, there was like no family to come and even try to identify or anything like that. And so it's like technically still an open case, but. Damn. Yeah. In 2015, Rogers Lacaz, his conviction was like thrown out and a new trial was ordered because there was a retired police officer on the jury that didn't disclose that he was a Mm. retired police officer. But then they said like, well, actually there's like overwhelming evidence no matter what that jury did, you know? And so then they overturned the order for the new trial. And so there's just been some back and forth with him, but he is in prison too. And I did see that women's prison that I said that she could be in. Mm-hmm. In 2016, it had some flooding and a lot of the prisoners were moved. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why she's at Angola now. 
Okay. Because they had to because it flooded. Yeah. So that's the story. The murder of the Vu family and Officer Ronnie Williams. Wow. I don't like Antoinette and I don't like Rogers. Mm -mm. They're just dastardly. And, you know, and it's like... How I was saying that, like, he had a police officer in her, his back pocket and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And, like, and I told the story about how she, like, pull, would pull people over for that. Mm-hmm. They would also, like, pull drug dealers over and just, like, other corrupt police officers would rob them because what they going to do? They're going to say, hey, one of your police officers robbed, my, robbed me of my fucking drugs? Right. It's not going to happen. And so she was doing the same thing just with Rogers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, like, known, you know, like, amongst the people on the street, like, because he would ride around with her. Wow. I like this story only because I've never heard it before. Yeah. But I hate this story Mm -hmm. because what the hell? Like, no one had to die. No one. You know, and it's like some stuff says that they think that, you know, she did it taking out revenge on Ronnie because he was, again, getting all the money and blah, blah, blah. But it's like. There was, if you were going to rob them, there was a better way. Yeah. Like, no, you went in there to kill. Mm-hmm. You didn't go in there to rob. Because if you'd exactly. gone in there to rob, you would have done it without them there. You mm-hmm. know, there was, you could have easily been taking money the whole time. Yeah. And the amount of times that they shot them and uh-huh. everything, too. And it was all very, like, execution style. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, you know, begging and, like, point blank shoot him in the head. hmm And think about it, too. So you had multiple times that she failed the psychiatric tests to even be a police officer. But they were so shorthanded that they were just fucking, they needed warm bodies. So none of this would have even happened. I wonder if they could sue the police department for hiring, like, negligence. I don't think so, because they did have a psychiatric evaluation that said she was fit. Yeah, true. So, I mean, it's not like they didn't have one that said she was, and then they hired her anyway. Yeah. Well, that one was a doozy. Yeah, I don't like this one. But get ready, because mine is too. Oh, fuck. Picture it. July 2nd, 1951. It's like 5 a.m. in the morning, and it's St. Petersburg, Florida. Pansy Carpenter, she is a... Pansy? She is. (laughs) I'm going to feel bad for saying that later, aren't I? Other than being a pansy, she's a landlady to an apartment complex. She woke up smelling... The roses? (laughs) No, but I put... Folgers. I put not Folgers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm a storyteller, let me tell you. Oh, my God. Why don't I shut the fuck up and let you tell a story? But she woke up to smelling smoke. However, she thought it was the water pump that had been acting up. So she went to the garage where it was located, turned it off, and then went back to sleep. Because sleep is life, according to Carrie, who's yawning right now. Not according to me. According to everyone who knows good things. Mm, No. (laughs) All right. Fast forward to 8 a.m. And she gets woke up again. But it's not her alarm clock. It's not the smell of smoke. She hears knocking on her door. So I assume she puts on a robe or some shit, goes to the door. and it's a, You assume she's sleeping naked? Well, she's older. And they usually, like, even if they have a nightgown, they're like, ooh, let me put on a robe. Okay. It was a boy who had a telegraph for one of her tenants. And that tenant is Mary Reeser. And she's a 67-year-old woman. So now she has a job of delivering the telegram to Mary. When she gets to the apartment, she knocks on the door, but there's no answer. So, of course, she tries the door knob. Why? Is Not that- of course. Why would you just be like... Like, I mean, I'm sure she like, knock, 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 no answer. Knock, 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 no answer. And so... What if she's off to the store? Well, then, I mean, she's a landlady. She has a key and shit. You can't just walk in, though. It's 1950-something. Okay. Okay. Okay, Carrie pointed out that I said telegraph and it's telegram. I wrote telegram. I just can't read my own typed shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you were just ad libbing. I I was and you just you were in the moment telling the story. Mm-hmm. And cannot you cannot improv. You mm-hmm. could not be worried 
about these silly words. No. You had a story to tell. <laughs> yes. Okay. So she, of course, tries the door, which is wrong, apparently. <laughs> I mean. Yes, now, but I feel bad. Still then. It was still wrong then. It may not have been illegal, but it was still wrong then. <laughs> I'm just saying. She's probably like, this old lady did. Yeah, well, call for a welfare check. She's a landlady. Yeah, and then when the cops sit there, you say, here's the key. I'm the landlady. True. But I digress. So when she tries the door, she gets the metal doorknob in her hand, and she's like, whoa, fuck, this is really hot to the touch. Put in the home alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I hate that part because I'm like, ow! Ouch, ouch. Everything, like, as an adult watching it, I'm like, well, that's a brain injury. Yeah. Well, that's a broken femur, you know? Yes. Like, ouch. I got to carry all over it. Mm-hmm. So this, of course, alarmed her, but, you know, she wasn't going to burn herself and, like, or she might have said, oh, she needs a written notice. Can't can't do this. So she runs and shouts for help. So she got help from two house painters who were working close. They rushed over to her. They get the door opened, and they're instantly overcome with a blast of heat. So they are thinking, shit, something's on fire. We got to get Mary out. However, when they gained their bearings from the heat wave, literally... Uh, they noticed that <laughs> they noticed that only a portion of the apartment was burned, and it was in a small corner where Mary's sitting chair was at. All that was left of the chair was the coil springs, and they were burnt. Dang. Then also, upon closer inspection by the EMS and firefighters, there was also Mary Reeser, too. In the coils, did she spontaneously combust? Uh, Ma'am, did you not say that I always guess your shit? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Mary's remains were basically ashes, and they were in the chair that she had been sitting in. And the only thing that remained intact was her left foot, and it was still wearing a slipper. Oh. And it was burned off at the ankle, but otherwise was undamaged. Interesting. Also, they found her liver, and it was kind of fused together with some of her spine, her vertebrae, and also her skull was found, but it wasn't an average-sized skull. It had shrunk to the size of a teacup. What? Yeah. Like, so, dude on Beetlejuice? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, it was... Definitely, like, mm, is that her skull? Yeah. And they were like, okay, it is this small, and it's not just because, you know, it doesn't have any facial features, like ears, nose, lips, you know, all of that. Facial features. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So Mary's body, she weighed 170 pounds. It had been reduced to less than 10 pounds of just burnt material. The remainder of the apartment showed like a little bit of heat damage but from the four foot level and up they were covered with kind of soot and grease a mirror had cracked the light switches had melted some there were two candles on a dresser that had melted but their wicks were still standing like straight up why was it greasy i wonder write that down questions later (laughs) Below the four-foot level, the only damage was a small circle on the floor that, you know, was around where her chair and body were. And one of the electrical outlets that had melted, it stopped her clock at 420. So we kind of know that was the time that all of this happened. And then the rest of it just had little bit of... Damage. The rug had a scorch mark on it. A chair and an end table had a scorch mark on it, too. But, like, for her to be that burnt, Mm -hmm. not a lot of damage. So, this baffled everyone because why is her body basically soot and ash, but so much of her apartment is untouched? And so the experts were like, look, basically she's been cremated. Yeah. And it takes at least 2,500 to 3,000 degrees to be cremated that completely. 
and it would need to be done for like three or four hours. Wow. Oh, and the electrical outlet, they, you know, after doing some investigation, it only melted after the fire had begun. So it wasn't the source of it, like a shortage or yeah. whatever. They tested the carpet for any accelerants and they couldn't find anything. And then they also were like, well, maybe lightning happened because Florida has a lot of lightning. But there had been none in St. Petersburg that night. So, again, they had like no real reason how this happened. Then on July 7th, 1951, the police chief, he sent a box full of evidence to FBI and to the director, J. Edgar Hoover. He had like some glass fragments in the ash that they sent, six small objects that they categorized as teeth, a section of the carpet, and the surviving slipper. And he like included a note that said, quote, We request any information or theories that could explain how a human body could be so destroyed and the fire confined to such a small area and so little damage done to the structure of the building and the furniture in the room not even be scorched or damaged by smoke. The team that, like the forensics, the detectives, everything like the police put out saying that it was an accidental death by fire of unknown origin. But they just wanted something that would conclude the investigation, that they could have the burial in place then of her remains. And, you know, like, just to kind of close it out because the fuck? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not foul play. Yeah. As much as they can tell. Like, whatevs. Well, eventually the FBI declared that Mary died by the wick effect. In the report, it said, once the body starts to burn, there is enough fat and other inflammable substances to permit varying amounts of destruction to take place. Sometimes this destruction by burning will proceed to a degree which results in almost complete combustion of the body. So basically, it starts on the victim's clothing, so Mary, and something to note that when she was last seen that night before, she was smoking. So they're saying that maybe the cigarette burned her clothes, it started a fire, and then then this will happen. And then that causes the fat in their bodies to break down, and it uses their clothing as a wick to the candle. Mm-hmm. And they said that the chair that she was sitting in was, you know, one of those overstuffed kind of chairs. And so it was capable of smoldering. So that could, again, make her, like, burn more because it's just smoldering underneath her. And they said her foot was undamaged because she had stretched it out far away from her. And her son, which I'll talk about in a minute, he said that she had stiff leg. She was suffering from that. And so she would hold it out and, like, prop it up and stuff. And so they said that this would... One, it would be further away from the whole thing, so her ankle on didn't get burned. But then also that if she was in pain, she couldn't just get up and move easily. They also said that before the fire started, she was probably already dead or incapacitated. And Richard, her son, is a doctor. He had visited her that night. Convenient. Mm-hmm. Well, she told him that she had taken two pills and may take two more. And it was kind of like the stuff that, a sedative, but like they give you to relax before surgery and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if she did do this, that would also be like, oh, that's why she didn't wake up from it. Because she's, you know, like knocked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And with the cigarette, if she fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And that could have happened. Well, there's this Dr. Wilton Krogman, I think. He's a professor of physical anthropology at the University of Pennsylvania. And he also is really experienced in fire research. And he was like, mm, nope, I don't agree with their conclusion. Because of all the 30 deaths that have been caused by fires that I've investigated, Quote, I cannot conceive of such complete cremation without more burning of the apartment. And then also, uh, her shrunken head. 
mm-hmm. like that skull. So July 5th, the coroner, Ed Silk, he is the one who like examined her and released them for burial. Well, he was quoted in the newspaper saying, again, like the ashes, the one lower leg, some fused vertebrae, and her skull somehow reduced to the size of a teacup. Like, that's what he was quoted. But they were like, look, heads don't shrink when exposed to heat. Mm -hmm. They expand or explode. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this different? What's going on? And so, like, that was just kind of that mysterious, couldn't wrap a bow around it and call it done because... It just had, like, but what about the head? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't understand that. And so it was sensationalized because this lady was cremated, but how and why? And so Mary became referred to as the cinder woman. Oh, God. I know. A lot of people agree with the FBI and the wick effect, and it makes sense. But, like, there was a pile of newspapers that were stacked next to her chair And they remained completely untouched. Mm. And so it's like, that's fucking paper. Mm -hmm. How did that not, like, if there's any kind of fire. Right. You know, like, how is even, like, the ink not melted some or, you know, like, something. The edges, something. Yeah. Well, one theory is spontaneous human combustion. Yes. (laughs) So... Spontaneous human combustion is when a person bursts into flames from a chemical reaction in their body without any apparent ignition of an external heat source. And there have been a lot of alleged human combustion since 1663 in Paris. Dang. But, like, a lot of scientists are not convinced. They do not agree with this being a plausible thing at all. There's a book called Myths and Mysteries of Florida – True Stories of the Unsolved and Unexplained, and it was written by E. Lynn Wright. And in that book, they had an account of a pretty recent SHC, Spontaneous Human Combustion. Oh, okay. I was like, uh. Yeah. So in 1966, there was a 92-year-old man. His name was Dr. J. Irving Bentley, and he was found in his bathroom. It was only like a pile of ash, and... He had one single unaffected leg. I know that's one and single means the same. I don't know why. <laughs> I had a word count, y'all. And one slippered foot. What is it with these fucking slippers? Right? And there is a hole in the bathroom floor where his body was found, but that was the only part of his house that was not intact. So it's kind of like the same, and then that was recent, and... So it's just like these are all weird things. Like how did how does it just happen and then it's so contained? Yeah. Like that's the weird part. Like how is it so contained? So there's some common features of SHC. The body has to be either completely or almost completely charred. She's making a joke cuz I couldn't say that fucking word y'all. <laughs> couldn't fucking say it. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean like There's a foot, there's a leg, but everything else is ash. That's pretty much common. And then furniture that's been nearby or whatever remains intact. Because again, how is it so contained? Usually like the torso and upper body is completely gone, but it's the legs and everything that's not because... It's less fatty. Yep. Another commonality is... There's no trace of fire accelerants or any external calls. The victim is usually alone at the time of the fire. Convenient. Yep. And they've been thought to be alive when the fire started. And also there's little sign of struggle. Also in that book, the Florida book, SHC has supposedly been demonstrated on a pig carcass and it... Could happen, like it was successful in the demonstration. How? If it's spontaneous, how? They just watched a pig carcass and was like, explode, explode, explode. (laughs) No, trying to get it to the right amount. Because it's like, inside we have these gases Mm -hmm. and everything. And if it gets to like some certain, you know, like that magic point, it could happen. 
Hmm. And so that I'm just saying, but the researcher hasn't been identified because of mm-hmm. animal rights groups mm-hmm. and all of the things. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, then I went to Reddit and I tried to limit it as like to Mary Reeser's yeah. account, you know. But two years ago, there was a Reddit user named Bombshell Banshee. Okay, so she said that she looked into some modern fire forensics and that the wick effect is actually, like, more plausible than people think. And she said that skulls don't explode like they thought they did for decades. And if you think about it, in 1951, the houses probably have terrible ventilation, which could contribute to the smoke pattern. Then she said that she spoke with her partner and they're training for a forensic anthropologist. And he mentioned that if the cigarette fell to the bottom of the chair and the fire started there first, that Mary may have fallen through and the fire on bottom, you know, it kind of collapsed in. Mm-hmm. And so she was stuck there. And then the fat melting from her bottom half would have been like able to keep the chair on fire and probably make it hotter, too, honestly. Yeah. And then there's another theory that I have to touch on. Aliens. I mean, you're not wrong. No. Oh, shit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sure there are some theories with aliens. This one is actually maybe worse. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, in 2009, there was a news article, and... It was basically saying that she wasn't a victim of spontaneous human combustion. And they again backed the FBI's wick theory. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Words. But that Dr. Krogman, he said that what he believes is she was murdered somewhere else, cremated, and then transported to that spot after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said that the murderer may have used some kind of portable heat instrument to warp the plastic so it looks like, oh, mm-hmm. fire has been there. Heat the doorknob. And, like, all of those things. Like, it was, yeah. you know, calculated. But it's like how, what she was like and all of that was almost like congealed ashes. You know what I mean? Like, they he would have placed her real good, whoever killed yeah. her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just... It, it's a lot to eh. stage. Yeah. And like, why do that then? Because a lot of people, like you said, with the sun, like, hmm, what's going on? However, he's a fucking doctor. So I feel like if he wanted to mm-hmm. kill his mom, it could have been something easier than that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was like, I want to be like famous and this is how yeah. I be famous. I don't know. But it's just, like, really weird. But I don't know. What do you think? Well, we never talked about what the grease was on the wall. Oh, fat. Okay. Like, the fat inside her body. So, why then, if it's so fucking contained to this chair, why was the door handle hot? People have said, like, "Mm, hot to touch is so relative or subjective or whatever the word is. Mm -hmm. Subjective. So when she touched it, it could have been kind of, and she was like, oh my God, it was so hot. And it's been so sensationalized that that could have been like, it was red hot. But even, even, okay, fine. But there's no reason that it should even have been remotely hot. It might not have been. She might have fucking got shocked and you know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, the door handle that I'm going to just assume was a solid 15 feet away. Minimum. Yeah. Gets hot, but the fucking newspaper is fine. I don't know how that works. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but it doesn't make no damn sense. And it's, we still don't know why our head is so damn tight. No. No one can tell do a we, good reason. And do we know for sure it is her head? I don't know. Like, why do are we just assuming that it's her skull? True. That's all I got. Unless... The grease on the walls, the fat and all, is if that was almost like stopped the fire from spreading, mm. even though it was like fuel in her body, but but also though like why it was only on the walls and why did it stop four feet down or up or you know what I mean? Yeah, I know it's a head scratcher. I don't know what to think about this. 
Do you believe that spontaneous human combustion is real or plausible? Not only in this yeah. this account. I don't know. I need more information on it, you know? Okay, maybe I'll do a more in-depth thing. Yeah, I need more information on, like, other cases, too. You know okay. what I mean? I'm going to say, I guess. Okay, I have my homework. What do you think? Do you think it's, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's plausible because our bodies are weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. But the, I know that this, you said not specifically this case, but her fucking skull thing is just weird. I don't buy that it's hers. That that could be completely true. Y'all tell us what you think, because we definitely want to know. Because we fucking don't know. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.